Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, and we're talking with State Senator Adam Hines of Pittsfield, one of the most knowledgeable people on Beacon Hill when it comes to state taxes and revenues. The Senator is co-chair of the Legislature's Committee on Revenue, chair of a Senate Working Group on Revenue, a member of the state's Tax Expenditure Revenue Commission, and the chair of the Senate Committee on Reimagining Massachusetts Post-Pandemic Resiliency. Welcome to the podcast, Senator. It's great to be here and a lot to talk about. There sure is. Let's start with the big picture if we can. Last week, um, the state reported that tax revenues in May took another big jump and, and that overall this year, despite the pandemic, revenues seem to be surging for the state. How do you explain that? I mean, it's it's true. You're you're putting your finger on, on a dynamic that um, has been, I, I would say, an unpredictable outcome of of navigating this the COVID um, COVID pandemic and the economic downturn. I think we've we've seen really from the start. We anticipated um, having a significant shortfall of our of our revenues um, last year, and then it, we've we've basically seen month over month we've done incredibly well. I mean, we've seen it in out of the the gates this year. We've beat benchmark. Um, month after month, you know, January was up close to 15%. February, I think, was over 20%, um, and on and on. I, I think when it comes to um, trying to just explain why, a lot of it at the top of the list, a lot of it is coming from the federal government, and so whether it's direct expenditures to um, businesses and individuals, uh, that's been a huge help, and um, and that's that you know, it results in tens of billions of dollars, quite frankly, in in pockets, and so um, that's as big as any. I think now that we're starting to move towards reopening, we're seeing that people are hiring again. We're seeing that um, people are getting out and about. They are spending money, and so it's still, you know, sector by sector. We we have to keep an eye on on uh, where those those returns are coming in and, and where we might need additional assistance. But um, you know, that's uh, it's it's a good position to be in. Um, we we drew down the rainy day fund um, again during this fiscal year. At least the the, the proposals are are doing that, um, but. To, to be in this position and then knowing that we have $5.3 billion in direct uh, federal assistance to the state, uh, nobody would have guessed we would be in this position at this point in the pandemic and the recovery. Well, that's an interesting segue. Um, this week, the legislature is planning to vote on this constitutional amendment to impose a surtax of 4% on incomes over a million dollars, the so-called millionaire tax. Right. Um, it comes at a, a time that the circumstances seem to have changed quite a bit because it, it takes a long time for a constitutional amendment through, to move through the process. And as you say, now we have surging state tax revenues and billions of dollars in federal aid that it, it's a delight to try and figure out what to do with all that money, basically. How, are you, how do you plan to vote on that uh, measure next week? And, and sort of how does it play right now in this type of environment politically? Right. Well, I'll be voting for it again. Um, I'm, I'm a, a strong supporter of the measure, and and I think the way that it uh, we're looking at it is sure we do have short-term assistance, um, particularly from the federal government, but it's one-time assistance. And the the investments that we're talking about from the fair share, namely education and transportation, need sustainable revenue sources, and and uh, and so that's the, uh, the the it feels like a bridge to the point where we will have. 
um, should it pass a, a sustainable source of revenue for these key investments for the Commonwealth. And so um, for, for most of us, I don't think that um, this, this kind of unique moment of the revenue picture is, is changing how we're looking at that, uh, that, that vote. Okay. Um, but I, you've got to expect that in the debate over that, that this is going to become a hot topic. Does it make it a, does, do the ch change circumstances, so to speak, make it more difficult to sell it at this time? The good news is the numbers are strong, both in polling um, throughout the Commonwealth. Uh, the, the votes, as, as you've seen, uh, it's, it's received strong support in the legislature. Uh, and so I, I, I don't see this changing much, quite frankly. It's, it's when you poll on on this particular approach, i.e. folks making over a million dollars per year, um, it, it resonates with people. And so, and it still does. We, we've seen recent polling on this. And so that, that hasn't changed. It's, it's in the 70% support range. And, uh, and so it, it's, uh, people get it, it and they, they respond even more favorably when you tell them where they're gonna be spending this money. And so having that link with transportation and education has been critical for the support. And, uh, and especially as we've been, um, you know, identifying the, the continued high, uh, high level of needs for our schools as they navigate post-COVID realities and as people start to get back on our, our roads. And, um, uh, and so people see the value in this. Let's go on to another uh, organization that you're part of, the, the Tax Expenditure Review Commission. Now, that's a mouthful. Um, maybe you could just explain to our listeners what that was, what that was set up to do. Yeah, so we've, this is the way I've been framing this is, is we've just gone through a budget process where we, you know, assess billions of dollars and what, what the priorities are, where we agree to our priorities and how we're going to spend them. And yet there's billions of dollars that the, the state spends every year where we do not go through that same process. And instead, it's a, a range of deductions and, um, uh, and credits and deferments that result in billions of dollars uh, sometimes for good reason, uh, but that, that don't get the annual scrutiny. And so we've been trying for years and the Senate president to her credit uh, really helped to stand up this tax expenditure review commission. It's, it's led by the department of revenue and it has a range of experts and um, you know, kind of inside the state house and outside. And, uh, and so we've now taken a swipe at looking at the 200 or so, it's, it's a little north of 200 personal and, and business expenditures on the books across income, corporate sales and, and other taxes. This review that was just completed um, looked at 26 of those, particularly in, in commerce and energy and research and development. And, and then the, you know, the commission decided early on, how, how will we start to assess these expenditures? And, and so as the report says pretty clearly, we, we wanna know does the benefit justify the cost? Is the, uh, is the expenditure claimed by the intended beneficiaries? Is the amount claimed meaningful as an incentive or a benefit? And is it relevant today? And, and maybe to the surprise of nobody, there is a growing list of, of expenditures that maybe are not either you know, doing what they were supposed to do, they're outdated, they're not being used, um, they're not used by a large number of folks. And, and so um, this was a, a, an important process for being clear on, on how the legislature might look at these and, and make some adjustments. And this will, the, the commission will do that periodically over the coming years. Uh, you looked at 26 and then the initial one, you'll, you'll just keep going through. Exactly. And um, it's, it's, it's typically a five year cycle. And, and so um, we, you know, we have a long way to go quite honestly, but it's, um, it's, it, it's valuable. And, and I tried in this budget in the Senate budget to, 
take some of those early recommendations and, and start to be clear that um, we do want more transparency. We do want more accountability. And when this commission or commission like this is gonna do this type of work that we actually see an outcome. And so we had three of those um, uh, where the, the commission disagreed that the, uh, that the expenditure was either worth the, the, the money spent or was not relevant today, et cetera. And, uh, and so the Senate passed that we would do away with three of these. And which three were those? Um, the Harvard Ma Harbor Maintenance Credit, um, the medical device user fee, and um, uh, what was the third one here? Uh, related to uh, yeah, the, the sales of certain patents. Hmm. Now, those aren't exactly household subjects. So, so they just got put on at some point in time and just stayed there. And, and that's and the right. And, and yeah. Yeah, and and you know you, we benefit from the ability now to to say, look, are, is it actually being used or not? And um, and so at this point, you know, nobody's really taken the time to to do that uh, assessment. And so we've, um, you know, it, just as an example, um, you know, the income exclusion for for the sale of certain patents, it's just not being used. Um, it, it's it's never been claimed since it was enacted in '79. So that was that was an easy candidate, right? Um, and you know, it's it, there are some expenditures that we all agree are are valuable. Um, I often point to things like you know college savings, and and you can you can think of a lot uh, of, of valuable expenditures, maybe for competitiveness or or for fairness, um, child tax credits, and on and on. Um, but there are some that that just really you scratch your head. And one of those I keep talking about is you know the, the sale of, uh, of of vending machines, sales in vending machines, and so you. Kind of wonder is this a, is this a deliberate policy for food access or is there just a good lobbyist back in the seventies in this case? <laughs> now, one one uh, tax expenditure that isn't so uh, easy to resolve, perhaps, is one dealing with the film tax credit, and that's gotten a lot of attention because the House uh, unanimously, uh, which is unusual, passed an amendment to eliminate the sunset on the state's film tax credit and make it permanent as is. The Senate budget has taken a different tack, extending the sunset date by four years, but paring back the benefits, if you will, under the film tax credit and trying to encourage more investment in Massachusetts, I think. That's right. the overall general theme. So that was also discussed in the, um, in the commission. T tell us about that discussion and, and what the commission recommended. You know, interestingly, I think maybe I'm, I'm overstating this, but I would say we all agree that, that what is happening in the Massachusetts film industry is exciting. Um, no one wants to curtail that development. I've, I've had a production as recently as this summer in my own district, um, Dexter was, was there uh, and they're filming throughout the Commonwealth. Um, what's interesting, speaking of Dexter, is that it's no longer just a, a film tax credit. We're, we're really seeing uh, an important development related to streaming programming and, um, and the credit being utilized there. Because, and why that's valuable is it's not, you know, say a three month uh, investment in, in time in the Commonwealth for a feature film. Now you're talking, well, maybe, maybe multiple seasons. And, and um, so there's, there's a real interesting moment taking place in the last couple of years that maybe we're not. Um, factored into some of the, the research and the data on this. And so I think that's worth, worth noting. We've, we've seen, and again, I saw this on my own district, uh, you have the expenditures for, for hires on the film set, but then you also have 
you know, every Airbnb and hotel in the region was taken up uh, for, for weeks. And, and uh, I, so I grew up in the small town of Shelburne Falls in Buckland. Um, you have about 1800 on either side of this river in the village and, and they spent over a million dollars um, in a matter of weeks in things like, uh, you know, for renting spaces or food. And, and so it's, it's significant. And, um, and so I think that's, that's, that's good. Um, what's interesting is it's taking place alongside this conversation that you and I are having around, well, uh, how do we treat our tax expenditures and, and can we be a little more deliberate in understanding um, either the amount or the type of, of structure? The Tax Expenditure Commission said, look, we, we find that there are model expenditures or tax expenditures out there. They, they pointed to, we pointed to um, the EDIP, the Economic Development Incentive Program, or um, housing development or historic tax credit, because, and the difference with those is you you set it, you make it more like a grant program. You set a cap at how high it goes, how much you wanna expend on that industry. You have a panel of experts that decide where those are allocated and it, and you have much more of a, a control over the, the jobs created or other criteria you might put in. Um, so you're right, you know, the design of this credit is, is such that um, you can claim a, a credit for 25% of the film's production costs or 25% of the payroll costs. Um, and so we, we really wanted to kind of bump up the amount of time folks are spending in the Commonwealth, um, addressing that, that, that payroll cost size and uh, or side of the equation and, and trying to say, look, you know, there's a limit of a million dollars and, and the like. And so, um, you know, I think there was a, there's an understanding that you can put in some guardrails and, and have um, you can design these so you're not impacting the incentives to come to Massachusetts, uh, allow the industry to grow while also having a little more control over it as a, as a legislature. So there's a bit of nuance in your statement there. The, the supporters of the, the strongest supporters of the film tax credit are starting to say that the Senate proposal would kill it, basically, would kill the, the nascent industry here. And you're sort of saying, no, no, it would just sort of control it at the margins a bit instead of an open-ended checkbook caps on the amount of salaries that would be affected, which I assume is designed to sort of rein in how much we're paying Leonardo, paying of Leonardo DiCaprio's salary to shoot a film here or Jennifer yeah. Lawrence or whatever. Um, little slight difference, but you're, you're sort of charting a middle ground, if I'm hearing correctly, a little bit. Yeah, that's a the good way to frame it. And of course, you know, it's worth noting we're going into we're in conference committee, and and um, and the outcome uh, will be the result of a of a negotiation. Um, and so the the final the final uh, kind of structure is is yet to be determined. Um, it is true that, that the tax expenditure review commission you mentioned that um, in your first question they they, they looked at a ten year period and and tried to find out who who benefited from the credit. Are you in state or out of state? Um, who benefited personally? Is it, uh, you know, percentage of people who are making over a million dollars versus under? Is it expenditures for set construction or location fees? Um, it cost for job leakage was another big conversation as, as there's a lot of transfer of these um, credits. And, and so, um, you know, I think that's, I, I will say that um, the, the DR data was up to 2017. And, and I, I, I do want to acknowledge that since then, we've really seen the explosion of the um, of the streaming services and productions. And, and so I think that those numbers will change and, um, and there probably is a, 
a need to expand our analysis into the you know the secondary and 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 beyond expenditures in communities. It's not just uh, on set construction or location fees. There's a there's a big impact, and so um, I, I I acknowledge that um, with with folks who are uh, maybe on uh, taking a different approach than the Senate did, but that's what the Tax Expenditure Review Commission looked at, and um, it provided a, a strong basis for this conversation. So. Um... Is the data very, you know, as someone who's sort of scrubbed this stuff, um, the data on the film tax credit, for example, is very murky. Um, you yeah. know, um, the, the commission said the, the cost of $100,000 per job was, was too high. But as you say, that's based on data sort of pre-streaming. And the other side says it's totally sort of out of date now. Can DOR not do more current data than that? Or is it just, um, I, 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 it's sort of a, a policy issue that's crying out for better information, is it, I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I think that um, one takeaway from this conversation um, this fiscal year clearly has to be that we, we get a, a better handle on the data, up-to-date real-time data. Um, and I think that that probably means Working with the industry itself and uh, and making sure that we actually are are uh, dealing with with kind of full visibility of, of the impact and um, you know and so the, the the tax expenditure review commission acknowledged that they're um, they're really that the credit does produce immediate and measurable spending within Massachusetts um, and so that's you know there are, there are some there are some positives here I think they. Um, they acknowledged that there was, you know, the, the long-term um, impact uh, was maybe less discernible. But again, I think that's based on a slightly outdated uh, uh, understanding of how who's using it in terms of streaming versus film um, production. And so, uh, you know, those are, these are reasonable things. I, I, I have to admit, um, you know, increasing the number of folks who are from Massachusetts, that just sounds like a good thing. Um, I, I, a lot of the jobs are union jobs. And, and so we don't want to um, get in the way and curtailing those. Um, it is interesting that if you require more, because a lot of jobs are coming from around New England, I would say, employees uh, from Rhode Island and Connecticut to, to work on our, our sites. Um, does this mean that we can grow the number of Massachusetts-based union jobs in the film industry with a, with a requirement like this? So I, I, you know, I think there are some, some elements of this that, um, that, that really should stick. Uh, and we'll see when the final product comes out. Uh, and back to the general picture that we started with a little bit, you mentioned $5 billion in federal money sitting in accounts right now. And there's been some wrangling back and forth between lawmakers and the governor about who should control it and, and what have you. And, and the legislature seems to be stepping up to say, we want more say in how this money is spent. Why is that? What is there a perception that the governor is throwing the money in the wrong places or what, what, what do you see happening there? Yeah, it's, it's no secret that the, the typical balance that we have between the branches was, was thrown off kilter for good reason during the state of emergency. I think um, giving the executive branch the ability to respond nimbly and in a real time to such an amazing, uh, amazingly uh, <laughs> considerable crisis and emergency, that, that made sense. Um, I think at a certain point, we need to write the balance. And, and part of that will come through the, the termination of the state of emergency. Um, but so creating a fund, and, and um, we created this fund in the last budget, 
we, then it, it brings the legislature back into the um, into the into the conversation around expenditures, the, the role that we um, traditionally have. And so it just makes sense um, that we would go about this and, and do this sooner than later, for sure, as we're um, working through what will be a very transparent public process um, and a very thoughtful and inclusive uh, process about how we're spending very significant funds um, and we need to make sure that, that the whole legislature and, and the public is involved. Do you have, uh, as someone who thinks about this stuff quite a bit, do you have one, two or three priorities that you would like to see this one-time federal money go for that you think uh, is a high priority for at least you? I do and um, you know you, you kind of brushed up against a, a key piece of this is you know, it, it typically will be one-time expenditures. You don't want to create a structural deficit by say, you know, increasing a line item for one fiscal year and then you're not able to maintain that over time because we won't have these funds. Um, but for me, things like the public bank, um, it, maybe it's time has finally come. It's, 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 I filed a bill related to this. Others have been working on this for years. Um, it, it essentially, when we look at what, what has been laid bare through COVID and, and the structure of our economy, one of the things has been you know, we have parts of the economy and people who are impacted first and longest, um, typically for making under $40,000 a year. Um, we have underbanked um, communities and neighborhoods. And, and when you lift up the hood and ask why, it, it's often, well, there's, there's too much risk involved um, or, and, and a range of other considerations. If you have a, a, a public bank, you can backstop some of the local ins lending institutions. They may be more willing to take those risks. Maybe they'll uh, you know, target um, communities of color, you'll target uh, certain industries that need support. And so that type of thing makes sense. It, it fits um, the, 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 the kind of dual needs right now of a strong, inclusive recovery and, and identifying the tools that would allow us to build back stronger and not just kind of continue with the status quo. So for someone who doesn't follow this that close, you would use a portion of the funds or all the funds to capitalize a, a public bank? For me, it's, uh, yeah, just a portion. And uh, it is true that the, the key to starting a, something like a public bank is that you need, um, you need to have the initial uh, holdings. And so there's, you know, it could be in the nature, depending on where you look, you know, you have certain examples across the country, North Dakota being one, um, you either can think around a couple hundred million or maybe even um, in, in nature of a billion. So I, I think um, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, we've seen, um, you know, Beckma in Massachusetts, Black Economic Council, we've, we've seen a lot of folks putting their weight behind this type of a concept. And I, I just think it makes sense. Any other priorities you might have, or is that the big one you're pushing for? Um, that's a big one. I, I think for a lot of us, um, the digital divide is another one. So you mentioned at the opening, I'm, I'm chairing this new committee called um, Reimagining Mass uh, Post-COVID Resilience. And it's looking at kind of two things. What are the vulnerabilities that we've learned about through COVID and how do we prepare for a, a new reality in our economy? Um, and one thing that's came has come out loud and clear has been the digital divide and, uh, and how we need to bridge that gap for folks who are either going to work remotely more often or uh, access telemedicine or maybe continue education. And, um, and what's, what's new is I've always personally viewed this as a rural versus urban dynamic, um, but really we found that 21% of Massachusetts doesn't have a hard line into their home and 93% of those are in our downtowns and urban areas. And so 
it's not an infrastructure problem, it's been a, a poverty issue. And, uh, and so how do we ensure affordable digital access? Um, that is at the top of my list as well. I could go on on childcare and, and making sure we're investing in childcare uh, would, be, would be another one as well. So do you envision this sort of like a mini budget? If the money is put in the account, then there would be like a separate process for apportioning that money? Yeah, that is, that is how we're, we're looking at this. I mean, it's too early to, to, to say too much in detail, both in terms of the process or the, um, or the spending. Um, but you know, putting it into this trust fund was a, was a first step and, and being clear that this is going to be a very open, transparent and thoughtful process to, to make sure that um, you know, these appropriations are, have the buy-in um, across the Commonwealth. Well, Senator Adam Hines, I wanna thank you for joining us today. That was an interesting discussion. And to our listeners, thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week. Thanks a lot for having me.